Hi, this is Jim from Safety Wars. Before we start the program, I want to make sure everyone understands that we often talk about OSHA and EPA citations, along with some other regulatory actions from other agencies, legal cases, and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And from the border of Liberty and Prosperity in the Highway to North, this is Safety Wars for uh, Monday. What day is it? Monday, September 25th, 2023. We are broadcasting today from Orlando, Florida. Yes, I flew down uh, this afternoon uh, in all that rain and snow. Well, not snow yet, but it felt like snow. Might as well have just been snow. Uh, flying down here in rain and everything else to try to get down here and do... Uh, I'm meeting Jay Allen today. I met Jay Allen in the parking lot, actually. Uh, I am going to be at the Alliance for Central Florida Safety tomorrow, uh, working with Jay, uh, seeing Jay, meeting some people, attending the conference. It's at the Rosen Plaza, 9700 International Drive in Orlando, Florida. Jay had suggested, I, when he, I met him in the parking lot, he said, why don't you go in? I have my equipment there, and... Uh, don't break anything, right? I'm only joking. He didn't say that, but obviously, don't break anything. And why don't you uh, do your uh, show from the night, from today? And I said, yeah, that that sounds like a great thing. So where have I been? It's been a couple of days. A lot of stuff going on at Safety Wars and uh, lining up. Uh, no, we're getting all different types of uh, new clients and everything else out there, and we're. No, we're going to continue tonight with our, uh, this is the last week of Disaster Preparation Week, 2023. We basically, except for one or two programs, we covered everything to do with disaster preparation. That's one of our passions here. That's actually how we originally had set up when I left corporate America, right? When I left my job and everything and set up my first company, which shall be nameless, uh, we had we had uh, uh, wanted to do all of this disaster preparation stuff for churches, for uh, community groups, and everything else. And what do you think are a lot of the comments were that we received? Well, that should be something the government should be doing. That should be something that uh, other people need to be doing. We don't need to be doing that. And this is what we heard in New Jersey when we had the 9/11 situation right across uh, the river from New Jersey. It was just a complete and total uh, shock to me on a lot of levels here with everything. I mean, you know, with uh, what we're doing here with uh, Envision was uh, to, well, we had Envision to, uh, with all this stuff was to Help the community. You know, the government, they get overloaded. The emergency responders, they get overloaded. We're not going to uh, disparage these folks. I mean, you can only do so much. But what ended up uh, happening was the, uh, the uh, 
no, you got I'm doing two things at one time here. The no, they get overloaded. We noticed that in Florida and in North Carolina, and it was shocking to us back in uh, 2001 that, uh, and then 2002 and 2003 that, oh, well, we're not interested in uh, preparedness. Government will handle everything. Then you get days like today, and you're just going to say, well, what's going on today, Jim? Well, what's going on today was it's a very morbid uh, uh, situation where, we have now three. We surpassed three thousand people as of today, dead from nine eleven related illnesses. And it's like, really, really, we have to, you know. And by the way, this was all predicted, and we went over on uh, September eleventh, and I believe a couple of days after our next program, we had discussed a lot of this stuff on uh, Safety FM uh, and everything else with. Uh, now, what's going on? And toxicology and respiratory protection. And by the way, we're going back into the whole uh, respiratory protection uh, thing with masks. There's a lot of organizations that are going out there right now talking about masks. And I don't know it's very disheartening for me here with uh, everything uh, where, that people still aren't doing this even on the basic level as they're able to. Uh, again, if you went out and you bought an extra can of beans, or you went out and you bought an extra can of beans, guess what? You're preparing for disaster. You're increasing capacity, and it's this whole thing that uh, Todd Conklin, who will, will uh, be here at the same facility later this week, talking about safety and what exactly safety is and in capacity, things of that nature, and you know, he has a whole seminar going here. You could check us out. Uh, I'm sure Jay will be talking about it uh, here. But, you know, it's just, uh, what's safety? Right? We have, I'm holding up for the people on uh, viewing this, assuming that we have, uh, we're broadcasting here. Uh, we have this magazine, Prefer Magazine. I was in the uh, pharmacy over the weekend, and we checked this out, and... I'm like, wow, this is really, uh, I didn't think they had magazines like this anymore because everything online says, be ready now. And when we talk about disasters and you hear about prepping, this is what people think about, bugging out. We've got to bug out. I'm on several different disaster uh, forums uh, on the Internet, and that's what they're always talking about, bugging out. you got to bug out. we got to be worried about bugging out and going out and, you know, what leaving. And uh, well, like uh, a lot of things, that may not be the first thing that you do is leave. For some things, it might be imminent danger, immediately dangerous to life and health, fires, floods, uh, weather events, uh, man made disasters. Okay, great. But the, what are the normal types of hazards that we have to deal with? What are the normal types of things we have to deal with? It's usually something a lot less spectacular like what we had to deal with uh, with the recent uh, tropical storm this past weekend in New Jersey and New York. Power outages, uh, trees are down, causing power outages, uh, things of that nature. That's usually what we're involved in. We're not involved in any of this massive, well, we're going to have to evacuate and everything else. And for the average person, what are you dealing with? First aid, CPR, AED issues. Uh, 
car accidents, fires, right? Where when you have a fire drill or something like that, or buildings on fire, you have to exit the building. We have, uh, 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 no, stuff like that. That's what we need to be really prepared for. And then once you get prepared for those things, then we can worry about the other things. So I wanted to go through here, and I tell you what, I read the magazine, really good magazine. I'll give them a plug here uh, with this. So the question comes down to what is safety, which usually that's what I always start out every one of my training sessions with, whether it's an outreach training class, 40-hour Haswaffer, uh, fall protection, what have you. What is safety? And you get all of the uh, usual things out there. Safety is zero accidents, zero illnesses, zero injuries, zero this, zero, zero, zero. And then comes the obvious question. What happens when the Gwuvno hits the fan and you have an accident, an illness? Now all of a sudden, are you automatically a very dangerous a person, a very dangerous job site, a very dangerous company? The obvious answer, the common sense answer is no. And that doesn't mean anything. You have to get down to what it's called, what other people have called the root cause. And as, no, a little bit into the Pozel household here, Casa de Pozel in uh, uh, Clarkstown, New York. My wife says, look, where there was an issue with the kids, you know, sibling rivalry, arguing, fighting, the normal stuff. And there was an incident, and my wife says, I want to get down to the root cause of this situation. And what do my kids say? And, I, you know, it's really good. Root causes are for machines, not for people, Mommy. Well, thank God someone listens to the show. <laughs> yeah, and uh, what ends up happening is that's a, a lot of truth in that because this is what I always hear. Jim, well, you got to investigate the root cause. You must investigate the root cause for that during an incident. And I sat down with a client last week, and I said, are we allowed to really investigate what the root cause is? I'll quote, a, and I'll date myself here, Sam Kinison, the comedian. Right? How the bleep did you get this job? Was one of the punchlines to one of his jokes. And isn't that where it needs to be sometimes? Where especially if you're dealing with a construction company and you have a bid that goes out, you say, well, how the bleep did you get this job? What was this, a low bidder? And you're like, uh, maybe, maybe not. And now back in the day, so I have a lot of people that goes through training. Most of us, say, you're doing this a lot, long time, you have a lot of people going through safety training. It could be uh, any kind, you name it. What's the one profession that does not go through safety training often? Any idea? You want to guess on that one? Procurement people and estimators. Shouldn't those be the people that are out there and your HR people or your other people that manage insurance policies and risk and everything? Shouldn't those be like the people in safety training? Not No, and it's important to go at the 
tip of the sphere where you have somebody, okay, we have to have our workers trained. I get that. That's obvious. That's regulatory. That's good business. That's everything loaded up on that top of that. But shouldn't like the management be in there talking about stuff, right? Learning about safety because that's usually where you fail. Well, what do we need? We need X, Y, and Z. Uh, what, what, right equipment, right practices, and everything else. Now, let's bring it back full circle to disaster. So your disaster planning, people, and there were fly-by-night companies that were out there. We're going to be doing disaster prepping, and this is what you need. You need this. You need this. You need this. You need this. When you really need what you really and that when you really need is to go back and this is what we try to guide people in with emergency response, is you try to assess what the hazards that you're likely to face. You have to analyze what they are, what your needs are, gather information, and then you gotta act. The thing is this disaster preparation takes years. Years. People think, I'm going to go out in a week and I'm going to be all ready for disasters. Yeah, guess what? Not going to happen. So uh, what they recommend in this magazine, I'm not going to read word for word, but they bring up some really good points here. Is number one, have a plan. What is your likely uh, stuff? What are you likely going to be doing, facing? So in New Jersey... We have, uh, and California is even a better example because you have all nine different growing uh, zones in California. I think there's nine in there. So you have nine different types of climates. In New Jersey and New York, where I'm from, where do, what are you going to need? You're going to have to worry about flooding. You're going to have to worry about power outages. You're going to have to worry about medical emergencies. We can plan for that. Uh, and... Uh, foul weather events. So you have four basic things that you're going to deal with. So what are you going to need? You're going to need some type of resilience and capacity, financial capacity. So that might be something, and again, that's a, usually finances are a multi-year, multi-decade situation going into that. And there's all different ways, and I'm not going to go into financial stuff here. There's all different ways to prepare yourself financially. But if you do not have the capacity, the financial resources to manage things, to manage a disaster, be out of work for two or three weeks, that could be another disaster. Being out of work for three or two or three weeks, how are you going to manage that? Uh, and everything else uh, with your career, banking, and all of that, that's something here. Also, that would, I would also include in finances, getting all your paperwork together for all your assets, titles, deeds, that sort of thing. Bank account information. Here's another one, water. Right? So as I previously said uh, in, uh, here, there are four different scenarios you're going to have to deal with. What are they? You're 0 to 72 or 96 hours. Right? That's one. Then 72 or 96 hours, however you want to divide it, to about uh, a week. Right? And then you have up to 30 days, a disaster, and then greater than 30 days. So water is one of those situations where, where what kind of capacity are you going to have? If you have a backyard pool, 
or you oh, closer to another water source, heck, guess what? That's pretty much solved where you're going to get your water from, uh, number one. Number two is, are you going to drink that water? So let's do the math, back of the envelope math here. You have water, okay? You have water. Average person needs to drink, we'll say, two gallons of water a day. Let's say you're in a household with four people, right? So that means that you're going to need eight gallons of water a day, potentially for drinking, right? That means eight times seven is 56 gallons a week, right? Now you take 56 times four. What's the quick math is two, uh, 224 gallons a month of water for one month. So if you think you're going to be have, you know, you see those survival kits out there, right? Uh, oh, well, you know, we'll have enough food for you for a month and blah, 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 blah. All right. And guess what? They're good. I'm not disparaging them. If you feel that you have the need for that, and there are some parts in the United States where that is an absolutely reasonable need uh, to have. Uh, if you're in some really rural areas uh, out in the Midwest and the far west, and I would even add northwestern New Jersey in there, that might be an absolute reasonable thing to have. You have to do an assessment. But where are you going to get the 200-plus gallons of water here? Ooh, that's a lot of water. So I, I know my math is wrong, but you know, over 200 gallons. Now let's say you're going to be over 30 days. Huh. You're into primitive living, my friend. And that, unfortunately, where is where a lot of the material on the internet is. It's not for your regular little disaster, what most people are going to deal with. And oh, well, we're going to have to go to primitive living. So uh, that's it. Now, energy. You'd be shocked and amazed how many people do not know how to operate a generator. A lot of people out there, they do not know how to operate a generator. So there's a power outage. We ha had this two times from the Hurricane Katrina down in Louisiana and we all, in 2005, and we also had this uh, through all the many disasters on the East Coast and the West Coast with things, earthquakes, uh, energy, where you're getting your energy from. So uh, what, do they, uh, what do they do? I had family members, no idea how to operate a generator. They bought one, had no idea how to operate it. Hey, you're going to go out there and run that a couple of times a year, make sure it's running, make sure you know how to use it, make sure your family knows how to use it, where you're going to put the placement. Or, no, where's the placement going to be? Not in the garage or an enclosed area outside. How are you going to secure that in the backyard? Are you going to chain it down? How are you going to know what appliances can you run off of that generator? or anything else, and it could be a solar power generator, and you get people out there, well, I have solar power, solar panels. Well, depending on where you live, those solar panels may not, may only be connected to the grid, may not be connected to your actual house. Hmm, did you think of that? So you got to plan for that. And plus, putting up solar panels, don't, I'm going to tell you, do your research and do your homework on it, because it may not be for you. So uh, research. Now, storage of the food, 
and everything else. Now, it comes down to this also. We talked about medications, and I'm here. How, how Are you on medications? What are the requirements for medication? What are the storage requirements in the medication? For example, if you're on an injectable like insulin or Ozempic, some type of insulin, Ozempic, Wegovi, uh, Mujanto, I think is the name of the new one. Oh, uh, what, what are the storage requirements? Do you, are you going to have to have that on, on ice? I've heard of uh, diabetics lose, right? So for a diabetic, often they will issue insulin for up to 90 days for that. Now, all of a sudden, you have a power outage. You may lose ni uh, 90 days worth of insulin. How are you going to replace that? Insurance company will likely not pay for that. Just putting it out there. So maybe the idea would be to maybe only get a 30-day supply. That way you have a little bit more capacity or resilience here versus the 90-day capacity where you may not have power to keep that cold. Something you need to plan for. So the other thing is this. You have these disaster uh, food sources, right? Keep the one month. And what do, you, what do they have? I mean, some of them are good. Some of them are bad. But what if you have that one picky eater in the house? Well, what do you mean, picky eater? Well, Jim, that's offensive that you should say picky eater. Well, let's say you have that one picky eater in the house. Are you Now you're going to force the person to eat legumes during a stressful survival event. You think you're going to have pushback? How about if there's someone develops an allergy or has an unknown allergy to those foods? Now you've just compounded your problem. So what do you want? You want food that people are going to eat that are part of your normal diet as uh, possible. Whatever that is. I'm not going to tell you what that is. You have to do an assessment yourself. Because the last thing you want... Now, the other thing is... That the last thing you want is someone to not get sick off of food or now be complaining every day, this food sucks, this food sucks, mommy, this food sucks, blah, blah, blah. or you get an adult, right, with that, especially an older person, right, uh, who uh, uh, may have other medical issues. And are, do they meet your medical requirements on there? Some people cannot eat. Now, I mentioned diabetics uh, may not be able to eat a lot of things out there, may not be uh, appropriate. What's some of the other stuff here? Uh, doo -doo -doo. Okay, now again, storage of the food. What are you going to have, especially in a disaster uh, scenario? I can guarantee you, you're going to have mites, and you're going to have rats. You're going to have voles. You're going to have uh, uh, shrews, everything else coming out, looking for that food. Now food's available. Now what are you going to do? Now you have to worry about sanitation also because I tell you what, it's getting more and more common in suburban areas around in and around New York City and some of the other cities to now have bears, uh, to have other animals now raid the garbage cans. I mean, I have a bear. I mean, it's an uh, empty garbage can at my parents' house, and that thing goes by once a week to check out that garbage can, make sure it's empty or make sure it's full, see what's in there. You have to worry about this. Sanitation moves into now only food. Sanitation. Where are you going to go? Gluvno. Where are you going to go? Number one. 
where are you going to go this? That's got to be worked out. How are you, are you going to be able to use the toilets or flush the toilets? During Superstorm Sandy, fortunately, we had water in the lines. Couldn't drink it. Couldn't really weren't supposed to shower or bathe in it. But you could use it to flush the toilets. What are you going to do if you can't do that? What if you're in a high rise? You need water to flush the toilets. How are you going to manage that? I don't want to get graphic there, but, you know, you got to think about these things, all right? Even if you say, well, we have a backyard. Well, okay, where are you going to go in the backyard? What's the appropriate spot there? Do you, are, you, are you drinking water from a shallow well or from a surface water supply? Now you have it contaminated? Uh, antibiotics. It used to be, it used to be back in the day, you go to a doctor, and you say, doctor, hey, doctor, can you just prescribe some antibiotics, prophylactic use, meaning preventative, where I, I'm going to get a doxycycline or a ciproflaxin. I'm not going to take it, but, you know, in case I need it, I'm going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get it. And it's like, uh, oh, uh, doctors used to say, yeah, no problem. We'll write it out. No problem. Can you do that nowadays? Not really. Not if you don't want to, not if your doctor wants to not break the law. How, especially if they're, and the insurance companies really keep an eye on that. You may not be able to do that. So that's another question. Right? So antibiotics, antibiotic creams, first aid supplies, things of that nature. How are you going to do it? By the way, we do give uh, first aid CPR AED training here, by the way. Okay, don't know what happened there with the uh, audio. Uh, we started to get some wicked feedback here. I'm sure Jay Allen is in a panic right now. It's his setup. What did you do my setup? I didn't do anything. I just started doing that. I think it was on the software end in the software program we're using. Anyway, uh, so we were talking about the, right, with the uh, cooking. So now you have food. Okay, great. How are you going to cook it? Does it need cooking? Is it finger food, ready to eat food? And again, the other thing is this. How often does that food have to be rotated out? Are you going to be cooking with fire? Are you going to be on that backyard grill? Okay, well, then in that case, you may need propane or you may need wood, charcoal. What are you going to do? Planning things out. And there are all different types of options there. I'm not going to uh, do that. And the other thing is this. Uh, water. How are you going to disinfect it? Are you going to be boiling water? Or are you going to be adding uh, iodine to it? Are you going to be adding bleach to it? And if you are, how much? Different sources say different things. All has to be planned out. Everything has to be planned out with everything. Uh, again, no, you have to decide whether you're going to be primitive living or are you going to be... Uh, you know, uh, no, over 30 days, primitive living, up to 30 days, what are you going to do? 
thankfully, most people want to know small emergencies up to a week with that. Uh, thing maybe a little bit longer. So now you get the whole thing. Well, we are going to bug out. We're going to have I'll go on foot, and we're going to go and evacuate an area on foot. Now you may say, well, that's not really realistic. Well, guess what? Happened in Hawaii recently, and they're still investigating as to what the hell happened there. So is that really an uh, 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 unreasonable thing? I don't think so. Now, uh, people are like, well, this is how you do a ready-made shel uh, shelter. Well, that's great. Let's, because that, that, let's say that you break down in the middle of nowhere, and this might be something that you mean, need to worry about. I would suggest that people stay with the car or the vehicle, uh, generally speaking, not go out and start walking out around. But again, what are you going to do? You have to have some type of resiliency. What kind of plan? If you're going to be planning, no, this is especially with boaters, right? They have to have plan for these things. What if they're stranded out on a boat in the middle of a lake, middle of a river, middle of the ocean, offshore, what have you? What kind of resiliency... What kind of resiliency are you going to build into the system there? I mean, this magazine is a really good magazine. Gives a lot of information on everything uh, here that you're going to need in a very small uh, no thing. So uh, that's all I wanted to talk about tonight. And we'll talk about this a little bit more tomorrow, I'm sure. Now, OSHA... They hadn't issued press releases, really, for a couple of weeks. Then all of a sudden, they started issuing press releases again. So we're going to continue here with some uh, press releases with OSHA. We might have covered some of these stories last week, uh, but we probably didn't. So here we have, coming out of... Uh, U.S. Department of Labor announces $12.7 million in grants awarded to promote workplace safety, health, training, and education. This is under the Susan Harwood Grant Training Program, uh, Training Grant Program, and they awarded uh, around 12.7 mil in grants to 100 nonprofit organizations across the United States. Now, what's great about the Susan Harwood uh, Grant Program is that the uh, is that the uh, stuff is out there under in public domain. You have to give attribution. But as uh, Jay and I were saying, how many people uh, before this? And I, Jay, I'm, you know, well, uh, I hope you don't mind. I'm, where you ha I'm talking about this. How? Uh, no, I made the comment. No, I sent some information away to a group uh, last week. Everything got copyrighted because uh, safety professionals have a tendency of stealing things. So I make sure if it's something really unique, I make sure I copyright it. Uh so, uh, again, you know, this is a really good program. You can check, out on, check it out on the OSHA website. Go and uh, find out uh, all different types of stuff, uh, especially with fall protection, things of that nature. There's some really good information out there. Federal investigators find Texas poultry processor endangered line workers by ignoring ergonomic and an unguarded machinery hazards. 
uh, as is our uh, 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 custom here, we normally do not mention company names. So uh, if we do, it's by, totally by accident, or if it's something obvious, then we'll mention it. A workplace uh, safety investigation found that a poultry processor exposed employees to ergonomic hazards, a common industry safety concern, the cause of many injuries to its workers. So uh, what we have here is this. Uh, they found ergonomic issues, guarding issues, lotto issue, lockout, tagout, and eye protection. So ergonomic, let's uh, go through here. It's $60,000 plus in uh, fines. Let's see if we could pull up the thing right here. And if you're watching this on YouTube or anything, I'm doing this. Uh, we had issues here with these streams, so we went to audio only uh, for this conference. Uh, citation and notification of penalty. Uh, this is out of Nixon, Texas. Uh, here, citation one item one serious. This is for a uh, general duty clause uh, where you have uh, the employer did not furnish employment and a place of employment which were free from recognized hazards that were causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm to employees and that the employees were required to perform tasks resulting in stressors that had caused, were causing, and were likely to cause musculoskeletal disorders, those are MSDs. And they located a couple of things. Among other uh, uh, methods, basically people were repetitively lifting things. Among other uh, uh, methods, right? Well, uh, let me put it in there. On or about March 15th, the Ides, beware the Ides of March. And at times prior to and continuing thereafter, employees were required to reportedly lift boxes of chicken products weighing between 46 and 81 pounds from the conveyor to the pallet from floor level to eight product tiers high. I had this job in college, by the way, uh, in a warehouse. Uh, the frequency and duration of lifts, weights of the boxes, repetitive motions, and awkward postures place employees at risk for low back injuries. That's absolutely. Uh, after years of doing that, people usually, uh, unless they got on the machine end of things, meaning the forklift end, uh, they usually develop something, uh, usually shoulder or back injuries. Among other methods, we recommend implementing a process-based approach for the following feasible and acceptable methods of abatement, which will eliminate things. So, again, with a uh, general duty clause violation, they have to tell you, uh, they have to show that there was a way of resolving the safety issue here. So, we have everything. Uh, they list four different ways of doing this. You can look this up. I'll be talking here for hours here. Citation... Uh, so for that one was 15625 That's the maximum. Citation one item two, it was eye or face protection. That was almost $7,000. Citation one item three, type of violation serious. Procedures are not developed, documented, and utilized for the control of potentially hazardous energy when employees are engaged in activities covered by this section. So it's 1910-147. Again, Lockout, tagout. That was another, that was 13,394. So then we have citation one, item four, type of violation, serious. We have unguarded protected shaft ends did not present a smooth edge and, and projected more than one and a half of the diameter of the shaft. That was almost nine grand there. 
Citation one, item five, was lack of guarding around sprocket wheels uh, with that. Uh, again, if, they, if they're not going to guard things, they got to be way up high. So here we have, uh, yeah, sorry for the interruption here. Okay, citation, here we have U.S. Department of Labor and a advertising uh, company form an alliance to promote workplace safety and prevent exposure uh, to hazards. This is an OSHA Safety and Health Alliance, right? Federal OSHA, Oregon Occupational Safety and Health, and Lamar Advertising Company offices in Oregon, Idaho, and Washington have established an alliance to provide workers with information, guidance, and access to training resources on workplace health and safety. The two-year alliance includes an emphasis on hazards inherent to the outdoor advertising industry, such as falls, PPE, safe use of ladders, electrical hazards, and control of hazardous uh, energy, among others. So, okay, good. They have an alliance there. Here we have out of Region 4. This sounds like a bad one. Department of Labor finds Georgia's company's safety failures led a 19-year-old worker to suffer fatal injuries inside a concrete mixer at a cantonment worksite. This is out of cantonment, Florida. A Georgia-based concrete pipe manufacturer could have prevented a 19-year-old worker from suffering fatal injuries after a concrete, uh, concrete mixer restarted while the team tried to clean the machines inside in Cantonment in March 2023. An investigation by OSHA determined two employees of Foley Products Company, oh, I'm sorry, I did not say that, climbed inside the mixer initially to use a hammer and chisel to chip away hardened concrete. As one of the workers left the mixer, the machine restarted with the other inside. And what were the citations here? $245,546 in proposed penalties. And again, let's remember, all of these stories that I share, these are proposed penalties. They can be litigated. They can be vacated. They can be... Uh, Enforce any any outcome. Once you know, once you go to court, there's no telling what's going to happen here. I mean, start dealing with this stuff. Now, if you need somebody to help you manage this, it's eight four five two six nine five seven seven two, or Jim at SafetyWars.com. Okay, here we have we have a nineteen ten one forty six permit required confined space entry. My question is this. Why is a 1910-146 and not 1926-1200, whatever it is? Probably because this was a maintenance issue, this sounds like. This sounds like maintenance. Uh, and OSHA will normally cite you for, some, for the work you are doing. So this comes up all the time in maritime training. I had a conversation with uh, somebody from a company that you have heard of last week who wanted to go and take maritime training. And I said, look, maritime training just, uh, no, it does not really have to do with water. You'd be better off doing some type of Coast Guard training. So the maritime training is 1915, 1917, 1918, and 1919, right? So 1915 shipyard, 1917 
uh, marine terminal, 1918 longshoring, and 1919 with certification of equipment. Some cert but anyway, and those, so you go, even though you're working at a marine terminal, let's say, you're not necessarily going to be cited as a marine under marine terminal, which 1917 regulations. So if you're building a building, you're going to be most likely cited under construction. Or if you're doing a maintenance activity, they're under 1910. Same thing. Now, uh, where do we come up with this? I called up OSHA and asked for a little bit of clarification on shipyards. When does a marina become a shipyard? Sounds like a thing. A marina, because, well, and the answer is you're going to have to give me a call. No, I'm only joking. The answer is it depends on exactly what kind of work you're doing. So a marina, generally speaking, is general industry. However, once you start repairing ships, you're doing structural issues on the ship, ripping out engines, repairing hulls, anything like that, now you're no longer a uh, general industry. Now you're a shipyard. But every one of these things has to be looked at individually and a determination made. The worst thing that you want to be in, or the worst situation you want to be in, is a situation where you're not following anything. That, my friends, is a problem. So they cited them under uh, 1910-146-C2, where they had to post danger signs uh, or e a equally effective means near the entrance of that. So there was nothing in there. Uh, no, no times. It's fifteen thousand six twenty-five. That's the maximum. Citation one item two is uh, nineteen ten one forty-six. Again, confined space entry. Again, no atmospheric testing. Very important on that. Fifteen thousand six twenty-six twenty-five. Citation one item three. Serious again. Certification, 19, uh, confined space entry, 1910-146. No written permit, no written certification was made before entry. That me no, in accordance to the uh, regulation, meaning a permit, assessment, something. 15,625. Citation 1, item 4, 1910-146. No 15,626, uh, 625. Where am I getting the 626 from? Citation one, item five. No emergency response set up ahead of time. 15,625. Citation one, item six, type of violation, serious. Adequate training, 11,162. And we have uh, citation two, item one, 29 CFR 1910-147, lockout tagout, lotto. Again, uh, for a grand total, uh, and that was a willful one, lotto, $156,259. And proposed penalties, 245546 a lot of moolah to be thrown out there for this. And let's not forget. Let's not forget. Person died. 19-year-old kid died. Right? 
Here we have Department of Labor announces enforcement compliance initiative to protect workers from silica exposure in engineered stone fabrication. This is all the buzz in the blockosphere and on LinkedIn last week here uh, with this. So you have so you have a nice granite you want a nice granite countertop. Well, guess what? This is where uh, engineered stone fabrication and uh, that that type of industry. I'm just going to read this. U.S. Uh, DOL announced that OSHA Day launch. This is on the 25th. This was today. Uh, a new initiative focused on enhancing enforcement and providing compliance assistance to protect workers the engineered stone fabrication and installation industries. Many workers in the engineering stone industry are experiencing illnesses so severe that they are unable to breathe, much less work a full shift, because of their exposure to silica dust, explained Assistant Secretary of OSHA, Doug Parker. Among them is a 27-year-old worker in California who went into an emergency room with shortness of breath in 2022 and whose lung biopsy later revealed he had silicosis. Since then, he has been on an oxygen tank and unable to support his wife and three young children financially, end quote. Supplementing OSHA's current national emphasis program for respirable crystalline silica, this initiative will focus enforcement efforts on industry employers to make sure they're following required safety standards and providing workers with the protections required to keep them healthy. It establishes procedures for prioritizing federal OSHA inspections to identify and ensure prompt abatement of hazards in covered industries where workers face high exposure to high levels of silica dust. OSHA and NIOSH identify silica dust exposure as a health hazard for workers involving manufacturing, finishing, and installing natural and manufactured stone, which includes the man-made engineering, artificial, or cultured types. When inhaled, very small crystalline silica particles expose workers to the risk of silicosis, an incurable, progressively disabling, and sometimes fatal lung disease. Unsafe silica dust exposure can also lead to chronic obstructive pulmonary disease or kidney disease. It's a bad thing, guys. When now, pardon me, hold on. When did this become an issue? Breastful crystalline silica. How long has the government known about this? How long have we as a society known about restful crystalline silica? Long time. If you want to go way back, you're talking to the days of Paracelsus and the ancient uh, days of old in Greece. One of the most famous ones that made this an issue was in the 1930s, where they were drilling a tunnel. And guess what? They hit, and they, a lot, there were a lot of people that got hurt and killed over the silicosis. And more recent memory, what do we have? We have 9 11. And the Twin Towers. Okay. Working off the computer today, the iTunes, so. Okay, we're back. I don't know what happened there with the uh, stream just shut off. All right. 
So I apologize to all your live uh, people on here live. We're going to be editing this tonight because we're in a hotel room with nothing else to do. So uh, that's what I, what I wanted to discuss. Again, we're at uh, we're out here in uh, Florida. We're broadcasting uh, from uh, Rosen. Uh, what is this called? Rosen Plaza. Uh, tomorrow is Safety Day 2023, presented by Alliance for Central Florida Safety. want to thank everybody for uh, all your support uh, and everything else. And uh, we'll see you tomorrow with some exciting program. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.